want to start with a question. Have you ever wondered if everything is going to be okay? Have you ever wondered if everything has going to be okay? Similar question. Have you ever wondered if everything is going to work out all right? I think, if we're honest, I think probably everyone here today at some stage has asked a question like that. Is everything going to be okay? Is everything going to work out all right? I think it probably applies to lots of different situations, but I can certainly speak as a parent and and certainly declare that anyone who's ever had a child ask these questions and ask them on their behalf, ask them on your behalf as a dad or as a mum. And I know certainly as a young father, when things were just getting underway, uh, often reflected on what the future held for us as a family, for my kids and and how things were going to develop. And praise God for the good things that have happened in the lives of my kids. I know at times it's not always so, but it's those particular questions today that I've posed that we're not afraid of asking here this morning. Now, if you've asked those questions, I think it's probably fair to say, perhaps depending on your personality type, perhaps depending on things that have happened in your life or, or not, you've, you've reached really one of two conclusions. You've either said yes, Everything's going to be okay. It's going to work out. Somehow, the circumstances that I'm in or that I'm facing uh, is going to move towards some sort of conclusion where God's in it, where it's going to be okay. We're going to be able to move forward in some sort of way. So you've either fell into that space or perhaps you've been in a place where you've doubted that reality. Uh, Maybe you've been so beset by what's going on where you've actually said, this is going to be a disaster. This is not going to work out. You've you've even declared that and thought that. Or, Or maybe you've just had a lot of doubt, a lot of uncertainty about how things are going to go forward from this point in time. And I want to address that today as I ask those questions and as I have invited you to think about those things, maybe that, that situation's happening for you right now. Maybe you can recall it's in the past when you had that doubt. I want to ask you to think for a moment about what you have based your response upon. So if you're a person that said, yep, everything's going to be okay, you know, it'll work out, I want to ask you, what's that based on? Are you an optimistic person? Do you think that about everything? Have you always said that? What's that grounded on? Or, on the other hand, if you tend to worry a lot, uh, if you don't think it's going to work out, if you actually have a bleak view of the future and you know you, you really despair over these circumstances that you're in, I also want to ask you, what's that based on? What's informing that idea? What's feeding that view of your circumstances and how things are unfolding? Because it's important that we understand 
the answer to those questions, whether we're saying it'll be fine or whether we're saying it's, it's not going to be fine. We need to know what's informing those because I, and I want to speak right into those things. You might say, I might put it this way, if you are a Christian and you tend to worry a lot about lots of different things, I want to ask you why. Or if you're not a Christian and you tend not to worry about a lot of things, I want to ask you why. (laughs) I want to find out and I want you to discover and think now what all of that is grounded upon because the Bible has something to say about it. More importantly, let's get straight to the chase. God, Jesus, has something to say about it. And I don't have any doubt that there are people here today that need to do would you say some work on this or or just need to have a moment to reflect on that stuff that's either feeding undue anxiety or that's feeding undue optimism (laughs) that's really not grounded on anything. I want to speak into both of those situations today. Today we are continuing our series If and we're examining some of the great promises of God found in the Bible. We're looking at ones that include the word if because they link things that God has done or will do with us. That that simple word if. They bind us to God, to his activity, to his nature, to his purposes, to his destiny in a way that's beyond anything else found in human experience and that's beyond our own ability or our own power to provide for ourselves. It's something beyond us. You could say that if is a small word in English, but it packs a powerful punch in God's economy. If shows up in some unexpected places, but when it does, it releases the power of God into our circumstances, often turning them upside down. In the Bible, if shows the pathway to freedom, to victory, salvation and love. So you remember last week we spoke about if the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Um, The truth shall set you free. Remember we spoke about that last week, so I trust you've now got your eyes open for when the idea of truth, uh, when you hear that quote, uh, the truth shall set you free, you're ready to say, praise God, you're quoting Jesus. Did you wear that and you're going to share the gospel and give them a Bible. Is that right, folks? You're going to do that? Maybe not. Okay. Um, If reveals what happens when God acts on our behalf and when we place our trust in him. It talks about what happens in those circumstances. Imagine what life could be like if only we understood the awesome implications of God's promises to us in the Bible which are released into our experience by this tiny word, if. And today's promise is no exception. So I want to begin by reading, we're going to read the whole passage first together and then we're going to start moving through it and find out exactly how it applies to us today as we go through this. It's taken from Romans chapter 8 and you're going to recognise some of this already because we just sang about it before we started our message. So... It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, What then shall we say in response to these things? We'll talk about that in a minute. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, 
How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is Christ Jesus, our Lord. That really, uh, I would like to suggest, is a remarkable, uh, it's a remarkable passage. So much is packed into that tight space and it makes such a profound statement about those that God has chosen, those who have said yes to Jesus, that really it should revolutionise our approach to life the way that we think and speak and act and because what it says about the relationship between God and his people is incredibly profound. In fact, as we're going to discover in a moment, there are no disclaimers on that promise. It's emphatic, it's all-encompassing and it really just changes everything in terms of the ballgame. Now let's talk a little bit first about where we started when Paul said, what then shall we respond, shall we say in response to these things? The theme of the letter of, uh, to the Romans has been described by at least one uh, well-known commentator as the gospel. Pretty simple. Uh, it's the good news about Jesus. So the Apostle Paul sits down, writes a letter to the church in Rome. Uh, we estimate around about 57 AD, ahead of a planned visit to the city. And it's almost as if he's saying, uh, look, I'm on my way uh, and uh, uh, before I get there, I'm going to write to you about the good news about Jesus and more importantly, where you fit into this story. For those of you who are familiar with the letter, um, uh, there were two types of people in the Roman church. Firstly, there were those who had been Jews who then became Christians, and you might say that they had a fairly good understanding of of what had happened because the tradition of God the Father and the way that he interacted with his people, they were well aware of, and then as far as they were concerned, Jesus was the Messiah and they'd said yes to him. But what they and the other Christians were struggling with, those who hadn't been Jews, which, uh, I mean, is us, unless if you are a Jew, excuse me, I, I don't know, but you might be. Uh, but uh, um, for those of us who called Gentiles, which means everyone who wasn't a Jew, uh, those who had said yes to Jesus, they were wondering, and, and the Jews were wondering, how did these people fit into the story? Because the story of the God's original people, Israel, that, that was written down, that was told often. But now, here's all these people that traditionally have been described as not God's people. 
saying yes to Jesus, being in the church together, and everyone wants to know, well, where do they fit? <laughs> How do they get here? And, and what, what do they need to do in terms of Jewish customs or whatever? So the apostle writes this magnificent description of the salvation history, how God's been working with the Jews and now he's working with the Gentiles and he's brought them all together in the church and, uh, you know, he, he's just on fire. And it's an amazing piece, an amazing story, amazing description of what God has done over the centuries. Then when Paul gets to the middle of his letter, he spends four chapters, five, six, seven and eight, outlining the assurance that's provided for the people of God, uh, which is the hope of salvation. So he tells this story in chapters one to four. Then Then he gets a little bit excited and he feels like it's time for everyone, now that we've all been brought together in the church, to know what it means to say yes to Jesus. Because sometimes I think... You know, we think, well, yeah, it's, 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 it says it's a good thing to do. The, the pastor wants me to say yes to Jesus. Uh, I've been coming here for a while. I think I'll just, okay, I'll, I'll do that. The baptism thing sounds a bit weird, but okay, we'll get in the tank and here we go. Now I'm a Christian and I fit in somewhere with all of this. And, you know, we can perhaps traipse along in this path and, you know, we should always think about these things carefully. But, uh, you know, Paul then sort of grabs hold of us and says, Do you understand what has now happened that you find yourself in this collection of people that are saved by Christ Jesus? And and he he spells it out and he just goes from strength to strength. And uh, the aspect in chapter 8, and that's what we were talking about last week. We were talking about freedom. That's one of the things that comes to us. Free from sin. We talked about that last week. Now we're moving on to a different aspect today. In chapter 8, he hones into the assurance of eternal life. Now, some of you, when you hear the, the phrase eternal life, you're thinking, man, I can't wait for this week to finish. How, what's life forever look like? Uh, you know, how's that meant to, is that exciting? <laughs> you know, it depends really where we're, how we're travelling in terms of life. But eternal life is not just uh, life that lasts forever, uh, but it's life that overflows. It's life that's full. It's, it's life that, that, you know, has purpose, that, that, that is, if you like, going somewhere. It, it's, it's life just beyond anything that we can conceive or imagine. Uh, so then getting to the end of that space, uh, Paul uh, delivers this passage that we've read together that celebrates what you might call the believer's security, the believer's position in Christ. And uh, he says, in view of this assurance and why we have it, in view of this promise of eternal life, he asks the rhetorical questions, what should we say? What should we think? How should we respond in light of this position that we have? And then he starts to move through that. So firstly, he talks about the proof of God's love. Now, I actually believe in the power of God's word. And, you know, I think we could almost leave this scripture up and I could sit down and we could just sit here reading this together for half an hour and it would achieve profound things 
in our hearts. This one scripture alone, just this one would be enough. If God is for us, who can be against us? <laughs> you know, you might think, well, you know, I think these people are against me and this is against me and that's gone against me. You know, I've got a bit of a list of the things that are against me in life. You know, you might rehearse it to yourself every morning. You know, this went wrong. This person hates me. This isn't going right. You know, and you know your list. And, and you, it's almost like a, it's your devotional in reverse. You're just cursing yourself and cursing your life. You know, you can tell anyone. If someone asks you, you say, boy, here's my list of what's gone against me. <laughs> You've shared it quite a few times. But Paul says, but... If God is for you, what really ultimately can be against you? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, now, now get this one. How will he not also, along with him, his son, graciously give us all things? Now, you know, if I was God, I'd be a little bit careful about what he put in his Bible. <laughs> I mean, would, should he really say things like this? Graciously give us all things? I mean, that sounds like a blank check to me. You ought to be careful how you hand those out, folks. But Paul makes this statement that that's there in black and white. And, you know... He starts off by saying, this God person sent his son. Now, uh, I had uh, brunch yesterday, a bit of a Saturday activity for us, isn't it, Jude? Um, Down at Cream, I'm I'm in the younger set. I think I was the older person in the cafe. Um, Jetty Road at Brighton, not looking very cool in my tracky dacks, didn't add an admir shower yet. But uh, anyway, sorry about that. It's, it's, not, it's not pleasant to think of, isn't it, really? It's an awful image. They, they were cool. They, they, yeah, but they, Emily said they weren't bogan tracky-dacks because they were... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, but Judy and I had kids. I had lunch with our kid, uh, Josh and Emily. And um, so, so if I'm thinking of what I can give to you, like the, the thing most precious to me, then her and him and her, they're pretty close to the top of the list. My wife, my son, my daughter. And when God sees a need in the human race and those who he has made, God doesn't write a cheque to fix it. God doesn't suggest a program to fix it. God doesn't uh, say a few nice words to fix it. But he sends as his envoy and his emissary his son, his most treasured possession. I mean, we got the best when God stepped into our situation and put it right for all time. We didn't get second best or a couple of bags of groceries or you know a nice meal or whatever. We got the best. And Paul looks at the fact that God 
sent his son and said, based on what God has already done, based on who he sent the first time, how can it be conceived logically that he would withhold anything good from anyone who says yes to him? Like, how could you make that up as an idea that God would not fail to release to you those good things? And I don't know about you, but when I look at this argument, when I keep staring at this, it's very hard to say, oh, yes, but it's very hard to maintain that idea that the good of God wouldn't come to us in our circumstances. And you know, Tiffany, I think it was so organised by the Holy Spirit that you shared that testimony today, where you are asking, you know, how is this going to work out? Where is this going? And, and God speaks and says, I have a plan for good, Tiffany. <laughs> I have a plan. I see your need. Matthew chapter 6, verse 32 in our Life Journal reading this morning. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Never forget that verse. You're looking for a memory verse? Go with that one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31b. I think it is. Your Father in heaven knows that you need them. The basics of life. So Paul says, you know, given what God has already done, what will he not fail to release into our life and give us all things? You could say that Paul is using the past to guarantee the future. Now, some of you who are into investments and uh, into uh, various different things would know that that approach these days is frowned upon when it comes to finance. I here have in front of me Australian Super's Terms of Use and Disclaimer on their website. Look at it. One and a half pages of tight print. And it says in one part, the information provided on this website is of a general nature only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or specific needs. The information on the website does not constitute financial investment, professional, legal or taxation advice. You should not rely on this information without first contacting Australian Super to confirm its completeness and, where necessary, obtain independent device. You should assess your own financial situation and needs, read the relevant product disclosure statement for the products and consult an advisor if required before making an investment decision or decision to acquire products on the website. Australian Super will not accept responsibility for any loss or damage caused by reliance of the information provided on the website. And the disclaimer goes on and on and on. And somewhere in there is, I think, the terms past performance is no guarantee of future results. Have you ever heard that phrase? Past performance, yes, you have if you've done your research. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There's just one exception. Just one exception. Can anyone tell me who it applies to? Who, sorry? Now, Richard, this is a spiritual assembly. We don't, we don't talk about unspiritual things here at the Hills Christian Family Centre. And actually, that's not true based on the 21 all count. It's no guarantee whatsoever. So that's wrong. 
<laughs> well, according to the scriptures in the Bible, the one exception where past performance is a guarantee of future results is the living God. There is an exception. And Paul says because of what God has done in the past, because he is changeless, because he's given us his son, he will not fail to do good in the lives of those who say yes to him and have been chosen according to his plan and purposes. Friends, you should read these disclaimers. You should pay attention to them. But when you read your Bible, remember that it's different when it comes to the living God. So the proof of God's love and its implications are based in what God has done in the past through his son, that he has given him to us already as Lord and Saviour and that therefore he will release all good things in their right time, in their right way into our lives. Paul is using the past to guarantee the future. Now secondly... We then look at the next phase that we go to where it says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So Paul has first talked about the area of provision. Now he's talking about the area of accusation. And we all know that Jesus himself gave the name to our spiritual enemy, the devil, the name, the ministry of accusation. And Paul now says, well, hang on a minute. Let's step into the heavenly courtroom. And I invite you to find yourself in this place right at the moment. Who are the relevant parties in the heavenly courtroom of eternal life? Well, in this occasion, we might think of God the Father perhaps as the judge. In fact, that's one of the descriptors that given to him. When we hear that word, we think of this ominous person sitting in judgment. But in fact, in traditional legal terms, a judge is a deliverer. A judge is one who hears the arguments and says, that is not right, here is justice. I'm putting that right. I'm dealing with that situation. So uh, he's not one who condemns, but one who puts right. That's God the judge, God the deliverer. Now, I want to suggest in this case, the prosecutor is the devil. So he's bringing the charge. He's bringing the accusation. The defendant's, are us. We're in the dock. We're facing the accusations of the enemy, but the courtroom has appointed for us as our lawyer the judge's son. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really glad he's on our side. And not only has the judge's son being appointed as our defender. But when we are actually found guilty as charged, he steps into the dock, pushes us out and says, I'll take that rap and I'll serve that sentence on their behalf. Now that that sentence has been satisfied, 
Paul looks into the heavenly courtroom and says, God, the Father of all love, is the judge. Jesus uh, is there at his right hand praying and interceding for us. No matter where the accusation might come from now, it's irrelevant and won't be sustained in the face of God the Father and God the Son ministering together on your behalf. So now, folks, it doesn't matter who brings what against you. It doesn't matter who says what against you. It doesn't matter what you're up against. It doesn't matter who's speaking what over you. You can't lose when Jesus himself stands next to the Father and he's praying for you. You you can (laughs) have a go if you want. Try it if you want. It's painful, I wouldn't recommend it. But with the Holy Spirit alive inside of you, born again into the family of God, the great salvation act of all time is happening in you. You you just can't get him out of your head and you can't get him off your hands. You've got salvation written all over you. It's your destiny. So I just encourage you to cooperate with it, to to not allow yourself to be overcome by accusation, but to understand that now your great deliverer and your good, just, loving father judge who is delivering justice for all, is putting the situation right, has removed the curse of sin and death from you by his own saving act, has placed his Holy Spirit in you and you are on your way to salvation. You're already there and it's just going on and on and on. And sometimes you're tempted to say, I'm not going to make it. This has happened to me. I can't get out of this. But it's irresistible. It's irresistible what God is doing in you and not even you can overcome it. Not even you are able to undo it. So Paul says, yeah, Jesus died, but newsflash, he's now alive. So it's not just the sacrifice that happened in the past, but it's the prayer that's going on now for you. God's praying for us even at this moment. God's praying for the preacher right now. Praise God, you all said. What's he praying that he's going to... Fi- no. Um, he's heard enough. God's heard it all before. It's nothing original in this sermon. He wrote it, but there you go. So, so God's praying. I've said to you before, church, that successful preaching requires the work of the Holy Spirit on both sides of the pulpit. Right now, the Holy Spirit's preaching to you. You're hearing the word of God proclaimed over you and God's working on you. Faith is alive. Faith's rising up. God is addressing things within you that he wants to carve out, that he wants to change, that he wants to transform. He's drawing you along the path. You've come to church. It's too late now. God is saving you as you hear this. It's his plan 
And he's drawing and he's saying, don't worry about this. Don't have concern about that. If I'm for you, who can be against you? If we're praying for you, what accusation can overcome that? None whatsoever. None whatsoever. He goes on, and we must too, or else there'll never be a conclusion to this. Who shall separate us from the love of God? What a famous Statement shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword. Paul had faced them all. No, in all of these things we overcome, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and he goes through another list just in case we missed it the first time, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither uh, present, uh, nor future, nor any powers, height, nor depth, anything else in all of creation. There's not much left now, folks. We'll be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want that to go in today, church. You've read it before, some of you. Some of you have read it a thousand times The Holy Spirit wants to implant it into you again today and renew it. For some of you, he wants it to come alive in you. There's nothing that you can put up and say, this will stop the saving act of God in my life. There's nothing. It it just can't happen. It's, It's not going to defeat the love of God that goes on and on and on overwhelming evil, overcoming injustice, putting things right in our life and our world. Nothing. And some of you need to be refreshed and renewed in this today. Trouble will come. It's not an excuse. It's not a, it's not a release from trouble as it were. That We shouldn't be surprised by that as either humans or Christians, but we overcome not by ourselves, but by the love of God in our life. Paul then expands to say that not only will trouble not prevail against us, but neither will that list that's in front of us. Many of us have felt the pain of separation in our life, of of something that's gone wrong. As I said at the start of the service, we've all asked the question about circumstances and things that have happened in our life. What will become of this? What will become of us? How will this move forward? And Paul says that not even that will separate us from the love of God. Sometimes we think, well, I've done this, Pastor, and, and this has happened, and you don't know about that, and I've never said this. And I, and, <laughs> but not even us ourselves can separate us from the love of God. Not even us. I want to finish today as we move into a time of prayer with this scripture that in fact became what I call my second life verse. <laughs> my first one was in today's reading, Matthew 6, uh, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness uh, and all of these things will be added unto you. When I was a young Christian and I was worried about what was going to become of me at age 17 when I walked down the front and made my commitment and then started work two months later. I'm thinking, what do I do? How do I be a Christian in the media? What's going to become of me? Who shall I marry? How am I going to feed myself? And the list went on. 
And God spoke through the words of Jesus and said, seek first the kingdom of God. Make me and it your priority and all of these things that tempt us to worry will be added to you at the right time, not given all at once, but added as you go through. And then I got to a stage, I don't know, some years later where I thought, well, I believe that then, but I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm going to be able to complete what's called the Christian life. I'm, I've made mistakes. I, I feel like I'm backslidden. I don't know how to go forward, Lord. I was worried. And then God spoke to me through this scripture. I remember reading Philippians chapter 1 and it went in and it never left and it changed my outlook. And Paul is saying that he's confident that when God begins a good work in you, God doesn't say, well, I've lost interest and actually I've moved on to another project and quite frankly, you're hard to work with and you know, really you're not getting it and you're a bit silly and you're a bit stupid. In fact, you're a bit of a rebel. You're hard to keep on. To. You know, God doesn't say, in light of all of that, quite frankly, I'm moving on. It's not in the Bible. So being confident of this, that he, David, who began a good work in you, will see it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. God will continue to save you. God will continue to work in and through you. You're saying, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can get through it. I can't go on. This Christian thing is hard. But God promises his church, that he will continue to work in you, that he will see it through to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And this promise, I want, to share, I want you to grab it today. I want you to hold it. You're here at church today for a reason. Whatever you might think that is, God's drawn you into this place. He wanted you to hear this today. He, he, some of you desperately needed to be refreshed and renewed of this. Some of you need to accept it and believe it for the first time. So given all of that, let's step into that space and that place now as we pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing words that we have read today in your Bible that your servant has recorded faithfully for us in Romans chapter 9 and Philippians chapter 1. And Lord, we are amazed that such love would be shown to us. We are incredulous at the fact that you sent your son, your most treasured and important possession, to be our saviour and our deliverer. And Lord, we acknowledge today that because of that fact, there is nothing good that would be withheld from us. Nothing. We declare it and confess it in your presence today. We admit it. We also note that because you have declared yourself for us, that all accusations really fall flat. That we are declared innocent because of what you've done. And that because you are praying for us right now as we pray to you, that we have a mighty saviour on our side delivering us right now. Also, in light of these two truths, we again declare 
that there is nothing in your creation or beyond it that can separate us from your love, even our silly selves, (laughs) even our mistakes, our wrong actions, our sins, all of our disappointments and our difficulties, nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, I thank you for speaking that over us again today and I thank you for declaring today that you will continue to work in our lives, that you will not leave us or forsake us. You won't let the work of your spirit in our lives rest. And Lord, I want to encourage today everyone here who is a follower who your spirit is alive in, I want them to be encouraged. Right now, Lord, I want you to speak love and peace and joy over them, Holy Spirit. Lift them up and encourage them right now that this is true of them, that you will not depart from them, but you will maintain your saving work within them. Lord, I also want to pray for those here today who haven't yet taken the step, who, who are drawing closer but haven't yet quite come over the line and said, I'm in. Include me in the saving work of Jesus. Include me in salvation history. Include me in what God has done through Jesus. Lord, I'm praying for them right now. I'm asking that they would finally surrender that they would say yes to you, that they would declare and admit and accept that there's nothing they can do any longer to withhold themselves from you and that it's time to make that decision. It's time to say yes to you. Lord, I thank you that you've drawn them that to play. In fact, I just want to invite you now to say a prayer right where you are, just in your heart but speaking to the Father. If that's you and you want to say yes to him, you can pray this prayer right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me and I thank you for coming to save me and rescue me. Into your hands I now commit my life and I declare that you will be my Lord and my Saviour forever. Thank you for giving me yourself and all good things. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our team's going to lead us now in a short time of ministry. Folks, I want to invite you all to get to your feet. And um, we're going to worship together uh, in the few moments that we've got left this morning. And I just want to invite you all to celebrate the love of God today. The fact that there's nothing that separates us from Him. Nothing that separates us from His love. That He is the giver of good gifts. And if you're in a position today where there's something that you need to receive prayer for, I want to invite our prayer ministry team to come to the front right now. Folks, you can get to your feet. And uh, we are going to get ready to celebrate. I want to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're a person that's struggling with believing and accepting the love of God. 
Maybe there's a circumstance that you want the love of God to be spoken over you this morning or whatever it is at all. We want to make time for you to receive that prayer this morning. Maybe you're in a position where uh, you want to say yes to you. Maybe you prayed that prayer just a moment ago and you need to tell someone that. You need to receive that love and that spoken to you. As our team leads, I encourage you, come straight forward now. Receive that prayer. Let's confirm and speak that declaration over you now. In Jesus' name as we sing. Thanks, team.